0: The monster is a mirror, and when we look at him, we look
1: into our own hidden faces, meditate on this
0: at second level. Is this life reality? No, it is a film. The television screen is the retina of the mind's eye. Therefore, the television screen is part of the physical structure of the brain. Here is the hair I've lost in the past three months. Take it. It belongs to you. You will know why one day. That's fucking crazy, man. Welcome to Weird Movie Hub. I hung the leg, and I sound like this. Oh, silly blue <laughs> of movie
1: is searching for the run. Oh, Jesus. That's right, the leg. Hey, it's Daniel. I'm also here on the astral plane. Hanging out with my pal, The Leg. Today's episode was recorded a year ago in Orlando, Florida. And I have to warn you that the recording quality is a bit sketchy. We were outside in the backyard of a house beside a really noisy air conditioning unit that went off several times during the recording. And I was also recording from my phone. So please forgive me and the audio quality. I did my best to clean it up and make it sound nice. And I think if you can get past the iffy audio quality, you'll find this to be a really interesting episode that features some wonderful special guests. Tell them, leg.
0: These special guests are the leg. Paul and... Here go. Uh, Eat And now you are hosts a new hands, Siri.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Weird Movie Podcast. I'm Daniel Wishes and with me as always is my partner.
0: It's Sari.
1: We're the Mochinosha Puppet Company and we are on tour right now. We're not at our usual place in Tokyo. We are now in Orlando, Florida for the Orlando Fringe Festival. And we have some very special guests with us. Please introduce y'all selves, I
2: guess. (laughs) Uh, Hi, I'm Paul Strickland and uh, I'm doing a show here at the Orlando Fringe Festival. That's a storytelling show called 90 Lies an Hour. And also with me is my director for the show.
3: Hi, I'm Erica Kate McDonald. Yes, so excited to be on your podcast, Daniel and Sari.
1: Thank you so much. And with us also, begrudgingly, is our good friend Zach Dorn.
4: Hi, hi, Daniel and Sari and <laughs> the listeners at home. I'm Zach Dorn. I'm here at the Orlando Fringe with a puppet show and it's just a pleasure to be here to talk about the weird and wonderful movies
1: so Paul and Erica do all kinds of different types of shows but they also do puppetry and Zach also does puppetry that's how we met Zach in Japan at a I think it was a Christmas party at Pook wasn't it
0: yeah uh, by Unima.
1: <laughs> yeah a Unima Christmas party yeah. at Pook so
4: that's fun right yeah it was fun I actually remember that Christmas party so I brought a gift it was like a secret Santa and my secret Santa gift was popcorn which I thought was a really great gift, but when it was opened and received, it was not received very well. Um, Everyone was like, who on earth gives popcorn as a gift? They got, so someone picked it up, they opened, they're all excited, you know, they're at the Secret (laughs) Center, they shook it, they opened it, everyone was like clapping, and then they opened it up, and it was popcorn, and it just got dead quiet. I mean, I would, have, I would have loved to get that popcorn. <laughs> I think, you know what? I think that same
1: thing happened to me. I did a Secret Santo once, and it was for a girl that I liked. I got picked, and I got her some popcorn, and uh, it was like a special, fancy one, you yeah. know? But she just opened it, and she just looked sad and said, uh, I wanted chocolate. Well, yeah, I
4: think that people <laughs> who like popcorn love popcorn. You know, yeah. and then they forget that people who don't aren't into popcorn, to them it's just it's just pieces of air and a little corn skin.
3: <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. We forget. Yeah. I really think Zach is volunteering to make us some popcorn tonight. <laughs> oh, that sounds great.
4: Should we do it? Should we watch the movie and eat some popcorn?
3: Yes. Yay. <laughs>
4: What movie were we watching? Yeah, so tonight
1: Paul has suggested a movie for us and I've already forgotten the title. So Paul, can you please just remind us what the title of that movie is? No synopsis though. We'll uh, save that for later.
2: Okay, It's called Searching for the Wrong-Eyed Jesus. Right. And who's, who's the director of that? The like main guide through the film is a folk singer named Jim White which is actually how I came across the movie, was because I'm a big fan of Jim White's music. And so I went to see the movie, knowing nothing about it the first time, and was just blown away. And so it's a movie by Andrew Douglas.
1: Nice. Good job there. Paul, uh, uh, very strategically and very skillfully, just uh, talked about the film while looking it up on his phone. It was very well done. Thanks. (laughs) Totally smooth, and you totally would have gotten away with it if I hadn't if I just kept my mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So before we we begin watching the movie, I just want to ask all three of you, like, kind of what your feeling is about weird movies in general and what your favorite weird movie is? Mm. Can I start with you, Erica?
3: Oh, I guess so. I don't really watch very many movies at all. (laughs) I find most movies terrifying, especially before I see them. Uh, I'm very taken with any movie that I see, so I get really into the world, and it can be very overwhelming. But I feel like now, I've probably half the movies I've seen would qualify as weird movies, because Paul has been curating my movie lists (laughs) for the past five years. So, um, I don't know. My favorite movie is Vernon Florida. I don't know if that counts as a weird movie. It's a pretty weird movie. Okay, I love it.
2: Vernon Florida is an Errol Morris movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually the first movie that he, oops, there's the air conditioner. All right, we've got some air conditioning. <laughs> hey, welcome to Florida, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Errol Morris, uh, I think it was the first movie he ever shot, but I think it was the second movie he released.
3: I don't know, it's great.
2: <laughs> it's called Vernon, Florida, and it's a it's a movie where he went down to make a different documentary entirely, and when he got down there, it, he ran into so many obstacles that he stopped making that movie, and since he'd already bought hotels for his crew and... was already down there, he just decided to start interviewing random people that lived in Vernon, Florida, and then took that footage and turned it into the movie Vernon, Florida, which is just a delight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah,
3: So it's a series of interviews with different people that are not famous, and then the way it's edited together, it it creates, you know, a sense of meaning. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, Erica, I have to say that I envy you. Um, You said that you don't watch a lot of movies, so I guess because you don't watch a lot of movies the movies that you do watch are very special so to have a personal curator like Paul <laughs> I think you're very fortunate
3: it's true it's true it's the whole reason we're together <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, how about you paul you're, you're a huge <laughs> fan of weird movies i think your knowledge of weird movies uh surpasses my own by quite know. a
2: bit so do, do you have a favorite i mean i have so many favorites probably my favorite properly weird movie that i keep going back to is songs from the second floor by roy anderson uh it's a swedish movie and i saw it again, sort of just randomly when I was in my early 20s, and it's a movie I've gone back to every couple of years ever since. It's like hyper-magical realist. It's all done in a warehouse. There's a lot of trompe l'oeil going on, so he's like making it look like you're in a field, but it's just flats that he's positioning with the camera so that it's really like the depth is very strange and beautiful looking. So yeah, probably Songs from the Second Floor is my favorite weird movie.
1: Nice, nice. And, Zach, I'm going to ask you the same question, of if you have a favorite weird movie, even though you do seem a bit preoccupied right now. I'm
4: looking up songs songs from the second floor.
1: Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd be doing the same thing, okay. too, if I wasn't using my phone for recording this podcast. Well,
4: you know, I'm thinking of, uh, like, a weird movie. Like, like, what is the definition of a weird movie? In the sense that maybe a weird movie, in order for it to be a weird movie, the director doesn't think it's a weird movie. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, for it to be weird... Like maybe the intention wasn't. It. So thinking, having that in mind, my pick is the movie Scissors with Sharon Stone. Mm. You know that one? No. By the director, he did Audrey Rose, but that's one of my favorite weird movies. It's re- it's very odd. I haven't seen Sharon one. Stone get stuck in a in an apartment. It's the whole movie is just her getting stuck in an apartment, and she's trying to get out. She's just banging on the window the entire time, and uh, yeah, it's really good. It's a great one. Mm -hmm. So the movie we're about
1: to see tonight you've Paul you've seen it. I have and Erica you've seen it I have. Sari and I haven't seen it. Zach have you seen it? Okay, so we've got two people who've seen the movie and Three people who have never seen it before including me. So I'm very excited Let's let's go watch it and thank you all so much for
4: being on my podcast Even Wait, I like your podcast. It's like an unpacking video. You know, like people unpack things on YouTube like Mm. I just gotta
3: (laughs) I just got a a brand new microwave. No, I've never heard of this.
4: Are you kidding me on YouTube? No. This is a huge craze. (laughs) Unpacking videos, like they're like one of the most popular videos, or especially for children. People just watch people unpack things, and then just take it out of the box and talk about it. Like, wow, look.
1: Well, there, you know, there is a reason why people like those those kinds of videos they want to see what they're gonna get when they open the box and if they have the product and they've already opened they want to (laughs) re-experience that joy they they can't experience it for the first time so they have to do it vicariously through someone else which is I think a a big part of what this podcast is trying to do is a lot Uh of people who are listening to these episodes have presumably seen the movies already but they want to know they want to experience it through fresh eyes Mm. Mm.
2: and it works either way if they've never seen the movie then they can listen to the podcast and then it's like they have this box. Yeah. And then they can open the box and actually re-experience the movie. Yeah. That's great. Or the other way around.
1: Yeah. Or they if they're a bit afraid to open the box for themselves, they can yeah. let someone else open it first and then be like, "All right, see if it's okay to, to dive in for themselves." Mm-hmm. So well, should we should we unpack? Let's unpack. All right. So we will be back with you all after we see the movie.
0: Cottonmouth quick cross the water
2: she would cook Apostle in the oven. Showed us how to butcher one with the offal the of guts and stuff to come out. Well you there's a
4: way to get rid of that. You didn't get rid of the brain. You didn't get rid of the head. The head was a delicacy. She told her how to cook, how to get rid of the eyes. Everybody told stories. It was a
2: way of saying who they were in the world. It was their understanding of themselves. It was letting themselves know how they believed the world worked the right way and the way that was not so right.
1: Hey everyone, and uh, welcome back to Weird Movie Podcast. It is now 2am here in beautiful Orlando, Florida. We're all fringe artists performing our plays in the festival, and I think we're all a little bit exhausted, and not all of us made it through that movie without dozing off a little bit, Uh, including myself, although I think I only missed like maybe one or two minutes. How about the rest of you? Did did any of you stay awake through the entire uh, thing? Erica, wow, good job. (laughs) Good job. Impressive. I I was there. I was there the whole time. Yeah, Zach, 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 how much much did you miss? I think, um, one-fourth.
4: One-fourth.
3: Well, that's
1: not too bad.
3: (laughs) No, it's not
4: too bad. It would be as if I watched the Gilmore Girls, but not the last two seasons.
3: How? How so? I'm
2: assuming that means there are eight seasons. There are eight seasons, oh, oh. so it's just a math joke. But I'm... But I'm Okay. Sarah, how'd you do?
0: I fell asleep maybe for five or six minutes.
1: Five or six minutes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Or maybe ten. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did you say earlier that you watched it with one of your parents? With
0: my parents.
1: With your parents, and your
2: parents fell asleep.
3: They did.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> There's it some... is a very slow-moving, uh, I think, sort of beautiful portrait of something. There's the air conditioning <laughs> there's again. There's the air conditioning <laughs> again. Yay!
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: but, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it is is—it is a little more sort of, like, uh, an, like maybe an ethereal experience. Than it, I mean, there's certainly nothing, like, plot-based going on. I mean, quite literally the plot of the movie. Is this what we're doing? Should I... should
1: we, I... Try we usually does? start by summarizing the plot to the best of our memory.
2: Okay.
3: Maybe it should be someone who never saw it before, oh, though. Should, should I try? Or, you should yeah. try
2: until you fell asleep, and then we'll go to somebody <laughs> yeah. else.
3: Uh-huh.
4: uh So in this movie, we're following uh, this gentleman. Jim White. He's from California, but he's living in the South, and he's grown to appreciate the South. And in doing so, he decides to buy a statue of Jesus and drive it across to the South through state lines. So he's driving it, and along the way, he meets and engages with different sort of uh, characters in the, the Southern Bayou and uh, along uh, the, free, the freeway, kind of turning, turning off, and finding these the different, these different people of the South all set to music. Mm-hmm. It felt like he was giving us a tour of the south and
1: that as he pointed out at the beginning of the film you needed the proper car for that yeah. and he had to borrow the car from Jimmy... Jimmy uh, Tuck. Jimmy Tuck. For a hundred
4: dollars a day. Yeah a day. Well,
1: it was long, a beautiful long, long vehicle.
3: Spotted like a cow.
1: Spotted like a cow. Yeah. Had had to watch strapped to the wheel I don't know if that was part of the car or if that was just just this the way Jim White does it that's just how he how he rolls
2: yeah
4: I'm gonna start doing
2: that it was uh, so it was and also I just want to point out it was was the Bayou but it was also Appalachia and also a lot of uh, sort of the Appalachian mountain area of the south so there was West Virginia and southern Georgia in there as well as East Tennessee
1: Neither Sarah and I are Americans, but all three of you are, (laughs) so this movie really feels like it's an exploration of certain parts of the Deep South. Mm -hmm. How
2: much does this film match with your personal experiences
1: and observations about the
2: South? Yeah, I feel like that the reason why the movie has kind of become one of my favorite movies over the years is because it does ring so true in so many ways I grew up a very religious person in a very very religious family that whole section of the movie where he's talking about how you either have to choose in like in the South in, in the poor South you have to sort of choose between heaven and hell as sort of a direction for your identity Is a real uh, is is something that really speaks to me in a real way. Uh, I certainly felt like that when I was a teenager, that your options were to be a church-going person or to be a partying person, and there was no sort of middle ground.
3: Whereas mine was the absolute opposite. It felt like all middle ground in the north. But I grew up in New England. Mm -hmm. It felt like all middle ground. Like, no one's really that extreme. Everything's a little bit of this or a little bit of that. It was not this sort of black and white options. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, Zach and I are very different because Zach grew up in the Tampa area, right? Camping. And I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, which is, is much more like Alabama than it is like Florida. So what's your experience? I mean, I mean I was more
4: similar to you. Like, you could either be a Boy Scout or you were a Lutz boy. uh uh-huh. Lutz boys would go around, they would spray paint on the Walgreens and the Winn-Dixie. <laughs> they would kill squirrels. Yeah. They would huff glue. And if you didn't want to do that, you had to go be a Boy Scout. That was your only other option. Yeah, there's a way in which, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing, right? Like... When
2: I watch this movie, I don't talk about this often, but I, we're talking we're on a like a movie podcast, so I can get a little pretentious about yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There is a way in which this movie reminds me a lot of Harmony Kareen with all the with all the sort of fake teeth taken out.
1: It it feels a bit like a more realistic or less stylized version of, of Gummo.
4: I, it reminded uh-huh. me of George Washington. David Gordon Green oh yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 absolutely yeah a little bit more poetic yeah slower although I would argue maybe a little bit more exploitive
2: okay now what's that about I'm interested in, in what, way, what way is it it's exploitive well, I think for because me, the prison thing the prison
4: thing is a little weird because everyone there's like fake because it's, it's fictionalized some of it is fictional uh, you're following a fictional character.
2: You're not following a fictional character. I mean, Jim White is a human fictional character, and Harry Cruz is an actual was an actual human being that actually existed in the world that way. Yeah. And yeah, you're like I mean, when you take somebody like Jim White and Harry Cruz specifically, and also Johnny Dowd, who's got to be one of the most strange people. He's the guy. He's the guy that that plays the electric guitar and does the song about robbing people. So, I mean, Johnny Dowd's from Ithaca, New York, and then, you know, like, and then sort of has adopted this personality, right? So, essentially, what the movie is, 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 and also, sorry, and also the guy who plays the banjo is from the band Sixteen Horsepower, who's a Colorado act, like, they're from Denver, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's this way in which it's making this argument about the South or, like, so, like southern as being this, like, way of being less than, like, a location. And Harry Cruz, specifically, is, I mean, he's from the South. He's from Gainesville, Florida, originally. He was from Georgia, and then he moved to Gainesville, Florida. But, but I, I'm interested in why you think that the, the prison scenes are different than the bar scenes or the church scenes. Because the bar scenes and the church scenes are absolutely just people yeah. doing what they're doing in their lives with johnny dowd happening to be there or the handsome family randomly in the corner Mm -hmm, you know
4: i don't know i mean there's something about like moving between scenes of people having choosing like the choice to be a southerner right Mm -hmm. and then you're you're moving from these people who have chosen to live that life to people who were sort of born into poverty or born into that life of being a Uh southerner and then as a result of being born into those circumstances now are in prison for, you know, in some cases, really absurd things, and then using them as sort of a narrative device or a way of building the story or, or reinforcing the identity that those characters are perpetuating. Like, it's using those prisoners as a way of reinforcing the identity and the atmosphere that the other characters are choosing to inhabit, and those people that they're using to do that are, have, did not choose that lifestyle. Like they didn't choose to be born in poverty. They didn't choose to be born in the South. They didn't choose to be born in any of those circumstances but then they're sort of ex- I'd maybe too strong but then they are using the movie as a narrative device in order to sort of reinforce these personas mm-hmm. that's why I'm like oh that's a little weird for me mm.
2: but the prison is weirder for you somehow than the church
4: yeah because those people are in prison which yeah. you think
2: is different than church somehow <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do uh, I mean I, I, mean, I think grew I grew grew we grew up in very different families yeah I think we grew up in very different families yeah so. I mean, I, it's an interesting question about the like the the idea of this movie being in any kind of exploitation. It's it's it is interesting to me to try to argue that exploitation can exist where an argument is not clear. I mean, I don't feel like that there is an argument that is like sort of substantially clear here. I think that that this is uh, impressionistic. I think that there's something sort of very much like trying to, to create sort of a very like, vague portrait mm-hmm, yeah and so I feel like having, like, these characters that are sort of this, and I'll grant you, like, weirdly ambiguous. Like, what is going on with Yeah. Jem White? What yeah. in the world is going on with Johnny Dowd and the handsome family and whatever? I don't know that there is sort of, like, a clear argument that puts any of these people in any position. I feel like all these people are sort of speaking on behalf of whatever their particular truth is, which is, like, I mean, nobody in that prison I think was like trying to make themselves look good bad or indifferent mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. it did feel to me that people were being portrayed in a fairly sympathetic way where we felt you know bad for these people and uh, the circumstances they're mm-hmm. going through now let me just ask a question because i'm a little bit lost how much of this movie is scripted and how much of is of it is like documentary, or is that an unanswerable question?
2: I mean, it's it's a question that is unanswerable accurately. I can tell you my feeling about it, uh, you know. Based on my experience seeing Jim White live in concert, that's what he sounds like when he's talking in between songs. So I get the sense that the, the scripted bits are like when they got the car from Jimmy Tuck, that whole situation was very set up. But I I think most of the dial, like most of the talking that Jim White's doing in the car is probably something he sort of prepared but but I don't know if I mean it's scripted in terms of just an interview with Jim White I think they probably asked Harry Cruz like can you just tell some stories from your childhood while you're walking down the street and then they did
1: while we're watching the movie I thought Erica, you were telling Sarah that one of the accents maybe I misheard or I misunderstood but it sounded like you said that some of the accents in the prison were fake accents.
3: No, just that they're pretty thick. Oh, oh thick. Okay. I, uh-huh. I miss, mm-hmm.
1: I misheard. I'm sorry. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, there were some like legit, I mean, that's when you said Bayou, I'm assuming. Like, yeah. There are some legit Louisiana, yeah,
3: like Aww. lower
2: Mississippi accents going on in that prison scene.
3: I was really just saying, if you can't understand what that person's saying, there's a reason. It's, oh, okay. <laughs> it's different from how most people you've probably heard speaking english mm-hmm. speak english
0: right. i'm
2: actually sorry if i may yeah well what Sarah, yeah. what was your experience to this
0: i thought the show really has like a very similar sense to you so. paul in what way even though it's like kind of documentary taste in a way it's it's very unbelievable mm. mm-hmm. even though it's true i can't right. believe like some of stuff happening in this real world it's very extreme but yet what people talk what people say is like it kind of points the truth Mm. and they speak some some kind of beautiful words Mm -hmm. it's like really like sounds like poetry Mm. and your show is very imaginative and it sounds like poetry it talks about truth And Mm. I thought it has some similar sense Even though that movie is more like maybe truth and your story is more Mm. imaginative
1: Yeah, there's a lot of contrast in the film between these like very beautiful songs Like there's so much music in the movie from from the very second that it starts Just beautiful beautiful music Contrasted with this sort of kind of beautiful but also a little bit depressing imagery of like decay and Mm. poverty Mm -hmm. but portrayed in kind of like a almost, like, a beautiful way, like, just shot beautifully, I, I suppose, just wonderful cinematography. And there's also, like, a lot of the characters have some, some, what would you say, like, southern wisdom, I suppose. Like, there's a lot of, like, good quotes from the movie. I, I wish I could remember some of them right now, but it is very late. Man, I really wish I could
4: remember yeah. some of them all in my head. One but. of
2: my favorite moments, like, I mean, Harry Cruz is always quotable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy is just... Like, people don't remember I've been remember killing
4: him. time. I've been killing time.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. What was it? But it just but won't, was, won't die. But it just won't <laughs> die. I mean, that's a Jim White line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, yeah. I mean, Harry Cruz, like, he spoke that way and he wrote that way. Mm. Harry Cruz in the 70s wrote a lot for Playboy magazine. Like, wrote, like, when Playboy magazine was known for their really awesome articles. And then he was a novelist. But he grew up in the Deep South and, uh, and then like moved to F- Gainesville, Florida and sort of became this cult phenomenon in literature for a brief period of time. And then he retired and he moved back to where he came from. And so this was the last thing he did. Before he died, mm. was this movie? Oh. Like, I mean, he—that was
3: the guy who's walking next to the with car, with the cane, oh. telling the story, and they're shooting it through the car window. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a story. I don't know who the person was, okay. but there's a man telling a story. I think he said it was his aunt telling him, "Oh, them birds, them birds," and telling That's a stories. That's Harry. Cruz. That's Harry Cruz. Yeah. About the uh,
2: they'll spit. They'll spit Those in birds your mouth. Will spit in your mouth. And that'll oh, yes. that'll
1: kill you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen very often though. Mhm. That's why you can't keep them inside. You got to let the birds out.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: It's a strange but beautiful story that yeah. feels like it has some very deep profound meaning.
2: Mm. I mean, I think that is a I don't know, a, it's been my experience that that is actually a very southern, southern story. American thing. Is that instead of actually having a logical argument for something. <laughs> and I'll say that as a as a proud southerner, instead of having a logical argument for something, having a story that makes the thing more believable, like, exaggeratedly believable, Mm. is more powerful and more compelling, Mm. certainly for children. And so I think there's a way in which, like, people grow up in, in, you know, in in different ways. Like, fairy tales are a thing that some people, like, learn as, like, just a part of their childhood out of books. But then, you know, I mean, I think certainly a guy like Harry Cruz, who was growing up, uh, I reckon, in the fifties in the deep in deep south georgia you know the people the older people that were telling him stories were the kind of people that i've based my play off of Mm -hmm. you know i mean like i mean ain't true and uncle faults are complete fabrications based on little pieces and parts of people that i've known over the years that are real people You know, that's what I think the movie captures in a way that I've never seen anything else capture, is this way in which there is this, and I think you said it best, Sari, there is this unbelievable beauty to this otherwise immediately sad thing. Mm-hmm. You look at how everything is decaying, you look at how everyone in that this movie is is in living in a poverty situation. They're choosing either religion or prison essentially on a large level. And yet there is still something that is sort of unbelievably beautiful about
1: it. When watching this movie, I couldn't help but feel like This same movie could have been shot in rural Canada, you know, you go to the the small towns and places in rural Canada, you see the exact same things. You see people in poverty, drinking, Mm -hmm. committing crimes out of boredom. Mm -hmm. People tend to be a lot more religious. It seems very similar and like some of the imagery even, I mean, we don't have the the swampland, the beautiful swampland. but it's a lot of the same things it's like it's it's a combination of nature and civilization in Mm. decay and yeah because I feel like there are so many similarities between the deep south and and sort of rural Canada I I wonder if it's the same in other countries as well if you go into sort of the countryside the farther you go to from the cities you find the same thing yeah what do you think sir is it like that in Japan (laughs) a bit do you think Uh, or is it totally different like
0: lots of crazy stories in countryside of japan too but that story has to be told i think it's it's very different the movie itself was i thought it it was really beautiful as one movie because it was told by the language and intonation, accent they used and with the short of nature including the Spanish moth. Yes. And the culture it was all put together. I if they try to make the same thing in Japan, it has to be told totally differently, and I think in a way it can't be. I mean, I think,
2: I don't know, and I, I would love to hear what you have to say about this act, too. And and you, I mean, like, New England, like, being from different places, but my experience is that the, United, the thing that the United States does across the board, for better or for worse, more prevalently than it seems anywhere else, is self-mythologize. Like, having an area of the country that is known as being like destitute and povertous and then finding a way to like make it sort of like epically beautiful mm. is not different than you know the way in which we like say to George Washington like cut down trees mm. or whatever it's you know what I mean like there's this way in which I was so excited to when I first started coming up to Canada I was so excited to find out about Louis Riel. Oh, yeah. I was like, "Oh, you guys do it too. You like make up stories about the about people, and we don't know which ones of them are true or which of them are false." You know what I mean? In a yeah. way, that like we need somebody to like root for, mm. right? I think there's a way in which the Deep South in America, like, has this way of sort of turning the television camera on itself, like these cut-and-shoot bars that they're talking about. That's a phrase Erica had never heard before.
3: Never heard that.
2: A cut-and-shoot bar means, like, a place where you'd carry a knife or a gun into. A cut-and-shoot bar. Yeah. That's what that means. Is, that's a really common expression. Uh, Yeah. I've heard it, yeah. I mean, it was. it's an expression I heard growing up, for yeah. sure. Uh, it's a bar you would not want to go into, yeah, yeah. right? you know?
3: It's what your family would have said. And, and I think a lot of
2: families. I mean, I think, you know, it's a it's a, it's a sort of, I mean, honky-tonk has this sort of, like, high-brow sound to it, yeah. right? But, like, I think there's, yeah. like, a cut-and-shoot bar is a place where you go to get, like, really drunk. And, I mean, it's, it's kind of a divey sort of place. But it is, in some cases, in those small towns, the bar. And so that, you know, I mean, like, some of those towns don't have more than one bar. Right. It's like the bar, and it's a really, like, the biker gangs come there, and you're just, like, hanging out. That's Uh. what it is. There's a way in which I feel like the movie does a really good job of also capturing the way the people in that bar are sort of turning the camera on themselves and, like, sort of self-justifying in this sort of epic way, where they're saying, like it's okay, you've got to choose to do this. You know, they're trying to, like, comment on the rest of humanity somehow with their own actions.
3: Well, what I thought was so interesting in that scene is that even the people who were at this bar and loudly sort of proclaiming, like, this is what I'm choosing to do, were referencing church.
2: Absolutely. Like
3: church was still like a reference point for them, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a, a line in the movie where they said that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the line. But 99% of time, if you have a conversation, it's going to be about religion.
2: Oh, well, it's, it's again Harry Cruz right. was saying. Yeah, he's saying uh, everything in the everything in the South has a theological basis. Right. Like was... any conversation you have in the South, even even in a bar, is going to have a theological basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Well, I felt like there were at least some folks who were saying like, well, whatever we do tonight is fine, we're going to repent tomorrow. Yeah,
2: yeah. And obviously, I mean, this is just the people that they're... But they happen to... Yeah, this is not like some large swath over the whole South, but I do think it does capture a, 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 a culture. I think there is something real there that they are sort of pointing at. Uh, whether no matter how fictional some of the characters may be there's it is it is a lot more true than it is made up so in the movie the plot if 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 that could be <laughs> a word we if can there end. could
1: be said that there is a plot the thing that bookends the movie the thing that decides when the movie kind of begins and ends mm-hmm is the purchasing of a jesus statue mm-hmm. and then the abandoning of the jesus statue at the end of the film and throughout this whole movie there is it, it doesn't enter into every scene but there is like a large uh, reoccurring subject of the pentecostal religion mm-hmm. and that's something that that i don't know very much about and i guess sari doesn't know very much about it no but uh you all were saying how common that is here and how it uh I guess it really affects kind of the culture and the way people uh, base
2: their lives down here. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what what's what's your experience with the Pentecostals?
4: It's not. I mean, you you probably have more experience than I do. I don't have very much. Um, I mean, you would run into them, and I grew up cat like my I went to Catholic school, so it was weird to be of the same. To believe sort of the same thing, and then have a totally different approach, mm. where you can be more different. I and mean, it's uh, yeah, but there is something also very. Intru- it's there's something. It, it could only. It could only have happened in the South. Pentecostal, you know. Why do you think? Um, because it's this weird pool between good and evil. So much about evil, you know, and evil as a as a thing that's outside of you too. It's both inside of you and outside of you.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: It's both, and uh, I would say like the I would say also through the landscape, like like I'm always just in the south, as like the landscape is sort of horrifying, mm. it's sort of it it, it it it's both like beautiful and also quite dangerous and 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 horrifying, and uh, maybe that sort of like polarization of the of the landscape is reflected in the pentecostal religion a lot in some
3: ways can i ask an ignorant question what is the difference between pentecostal and evangelical that's a good question i'm not exactly sure
2: um as far as i understand it like evangelical refers to the way in which a religious denomination sort of approaches like trying to reach out to the spreading community, the word, spreading the word. And
4: joel Stein, he's not he an evangelical
2: i suppose i mean but he's also i mean he's more defined by sort of like that prosperity religion wow. right yeah but i think pentecostal has more to do with a, an outward manifestation of the holy spirit
3: oh okay.
2: meaning speaking in tongues like, literal healings and I'm using quote fingers as I do it, you know, like, laying on of hands, that sort of thing. Which I think, I mean, that must be, like, I would assume some, some of the strangest stuff in the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've heard of speaking in tongues before. You've never seen it live? I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> it that explicitly. There's, um, comes across as being a little bit strange, but maybe that's just because I, I'm new to the, the concept. What did you think of the speaking tongues, Sari?
0: Speaking tongues, it's, yeah. It's
1: when people just sort of, oh, yeah. I don't really understand, but I guess you just sort of start speaking gibberish from
0: your yeah. soul,
1: I suppose, or from yeah. some outside yeah. it force.
0: Was, it was really weird.
2: Uh-huh, yeah, it, it was, is really weird, yeah, isn't it?
0: They, have you done that? Have you guys done that?
2: No, I mean, so, no. uh, well, Zach, you talk first. No, I yeah, never heard you. So the religion that I came from my that my parents are a part of don't do that at all okay. Okay. In fact, they don't believe that even exists. Okay. So, non- so none
1: of you are Pentecostal or no. raised no.
2: Pentecostal. No, I was raised um, Sort of what would be considered like uh, They they wouldn't consider themselves, but it is sort of a very radically right-wing fundamentalist Protestant uh, sect of Christianity.
3: Is it Courtney Pentecostal?
2: Yeah, yeah, and so you know, I think that there's this way in which like Pentecostal churches are like very energetic. Mm. uh You know, to not get into all the weird details of it, but it's very energetic. It's about like getting excited and having the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Oh,
3: yeah, right. Like,
2: excite you. And they have they, like Jubilee horns.
3: when the Enter um, you. Yeah, literally. When the first scene started, I was like, oh, Sari, this is church. And you were like, wait, it's not a comedy show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the guy's on the microphone yeah. and he's like so hyped up yeah. and he's like, yelling. It's very
1: energetic. Yeah. He effect. was also he was also playing guitar and singing. Yes. Uh-huh. and I have to say, he didn't sound half bad. no, And I kind of thought, <laughs> you know, weird. I mean, who says the devil has all the best music? <laughs> <laughs> those guys are those guys were rocking. It yeah. seemed it seemed like a big party. Yeah. Uh-huh. kids were running around. Oh, yeah. people were lying on the floor, <laughs> vibrating. Yeah. I mean, I
2: I understand the appeal. It seems like a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, that, but I mean, back to that sort of self-anthologizing, the thing I like about the juxtaposition of the prison scenes with the religious scenes is that I do think that the real, the sort of, I mean, I'm going to use the word argument really loosely here, but the argument that the movie does sort of like try to sort of make with the with, with that move is that there is something just as desperate in the religious folk that that i mean that is wild mm. the idea of like i need jesus so much that i'm that i'm going to like there's 65 70 year old people just vibrating and falling on the floor and whatnot you know yeah I mean, it's crazy it's it really is There's a lot of
1: movies that are, you know, considered weird movies that take people who aren't normally shown on screen, like, you know, like movies like Gummo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where the lead character of Gummo, I think famously, he found that kid from like watching an episode of Ricky Lake or one of those talk shows about kids sniffing glue. Yeah. Or there's that movie, What Is It?, by Crispin Glover. Uh which uh, takes people yeah. with... Like developmental
2: disorders. Developmental but, you know, disorders, yeah. yeah. Oh, so
1: on one hand, yeah. are these directors exploiting these people? But there's another argument that these are people who don't normally appear on film, and this is a chance, a rare chance that they're getting to tell their stories and show things from their point of view, but which is not, not normally shown I on agree. screen. I agree.
4: I think that's Crispin Glover's point. And what is it? Is that, because that, they're playing, you know, there's no, like I think in his film, like there's not, it's not about their, anything about them being differently able at all. Mm-hmm, the right. whole movie has nothing to do with that. And he, I think his argument is like why... He, I think he's interested in like kind of tearing down the, the barriers between like imagining people who maybe don't fit certain uh, expectations and putting them in roles they don't usually get. You know, it's like breaking expectations and giving roles to people who don't usually get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that changes our expectations and sort of um, a lot of like the foundational sort of mm-hmm. s- system that's set up. And how we watch characters and people. So, you, and who's representing those characters and people.
2: Right. right. So, so, so that I'm really curious. Yeah. So then in the church scenes, yeah. because those people are choosing to allow what they think is the Holy Spirit to inhabit them, that's not exploitative. But in no, the prison tr- scenes, yeah. because those people are choosing to tell their experiences, getting caught, busted with masks. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is exploitative.
4: I think it's only exploitative because it puts them um, next to these other characters whose lives are choices. I think it's, for me, it's weird that the char- there's so many characters who choose to live sort of in this, like, this world of, like, the southerner. Like, there's, like, characters who, like, choose it and maybe come from a place of privilege or they're artists, and they come, they're able to sort of, like, come at it from the sort of perspective of an outsider and then accept it. I do find it sort of like uh, uncomfortable to watch someone who chooses a lifestyle and is making the movie and like has control of the narrative, control of the atmosphere. And then when they need something to sort of like actually be the authentic like mouthpiece of this sort of atmosphere that they're trying to create or movie they're trying to create um, or to capture the actual sort of authenticity of the South to go to a prison, they put these men on uh, in the movie, um, and then after they put the men on the movie, they then they put in people who are essentially, I think, actors. Who are the actors that you think? I find them Jim White. Yeah, I think that there is something a bit act. You know, I do find them actors because they're able to. They're able to both be behind the camera.
3: You mean the musicians? And yeah, stuff that are that are clearly kind of brought in. Right. Is that what
4: you mean by right. actors? I do. I do. Because they're both. They're both beyond the ca- They're both in the camera, and they're the outside of the camera. They know how they're being framed. There is a discussion of the content of the film. Like they're very, they're possibly involved. I mean, you can tell that there's a separation between the two. There's a, there's definitely a distinction between those actors. At least watching it, I feel very that there's a sort of like a boundary between the two. Well,
3: I think watching it, the main distinction is that the musicians kind of come with us, place to place.
2: Yeah.
3: And everybody else. Is kind of in the place that they're found
2: Eric right. who's Johnny down the guy from 16 horsepower, they're in multiple. Sure,
4: totally, and then and not, and also in reality, they have the ability to sort of like also function in multiple places uh-huh. and can be multiple people, and can kind of like have the autonomy to like choose when they want to be a southerner or when they don't want to be a southerner, or when they. So, they, and
2: so how is that exploitative? Then I guess it's I not
4: for them, and then it's no, 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 the I prisoners,
2: mean, because, because they
4: don't, they are totally out of control. of Their circumstance, they have no control over their circumstances. Everyone else in that movie does like there's like the woman that, in the restaurant without the teeth and they're like uh, that seems like i don't even that for me is like a difficult one because it's like this is like someone's like real story yeah you know what i mean so, and like I, I think she deserves to have her story told absolutely so, but it gets uncomfortable for me... When she when it, tells it. No, it gets uncomfortable when she tells it next to someone who's telling a story that's fictionalized. Or she tells it next to a person who's playing banjo, like, in this sort of, like, presentational, like, southerner way. But we don't really know where they come from. We don't really know... To me, they feel very presentational. So it's like people's real stories who are thrown in, and those people aren't in control of the narrative, and the people who are the people who are presenting the narrative, and they're sort of being presentational. That's why it's uncomfortable. All I'm saying, it is weird that like like you said, these people are allowed to travel and be different people and sort of like move around in the space. And then there's certain people who cannot move around in the space mm. who are stuck. And they get on, they're like on camera to sort of fill in the sort of gap. Mm. Paul, you
2: seem like you have some thoughts on. that. No, about I mean, that. I just find it such a fascinatingly inaccurate argument that you're <laughs> trying to make. I just find it just insanely inaccurate and not, like, yeah, I, I mean, Johnny Dowd worked for a, he was, he was a, 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 a furniture mover, mm-hmm. and then he made his first album on a cassette tape and then got a record deal. That's his story. You know, like Jim White sort of stumbled back asswards into, into academia uh, after he was sort of, had this weird existence as a sort of folk musician. I I think there's something, like, weirdly problematic about this idea of sort of people being prisoners and therefore incapable of controlling their own narrative. Like, I think that if somebody is on screen and they choose to tell their story about selling a whole bunch of masks, then I I guess I don't know how that is necessarily different than deciding to stop traveling to Amsterdam and move back to Alabama. It did
1: seem that all of the people in this movie, they all seem very forthcoming. Like, it all did seem like they wanted to speak for themselves and have their story recorded.
2: Yeah.
1: It didn't seem like anybody was being coerced or, or hesitant. All those sort of people in the movie seemed like they had
2: something to say and mm-hmm. really wanted to say it. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it speaks more to that sort of self mythology It's late. What, how would you say it? Self... Mythologizing? Yeah, there yeah, it, it is. That's
1: what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah.
2: The thing that's compelling about your, about your whole argument, Zach, mm-hmm. is that it smells like I care about it you know what i mean it smells like it it seems right but i can't quite make it all work Mm -hmm. for me
4: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i love like american movie i love gummo you know i Mm -hmm. love these movies with people who are not actors i don't know it's like one of the first times i did feel a little weird about about so
2: in gummo the scene with the lady who i would assume is i'm going to use the word albino Right? And she's, like, dancing outside of the car. Yeah. You think she's 100% in control and has not been coerced and has not been in some way tricked by Harmony Corrine to do that scene. You think she's... I mean, in what
4: way is she different than a prisoner?
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Right? But it's hard to say. Like, no one really knows except Mm -hmm. for the people behind the film.
4: Right. I mean, I will say the difference is, like, the people who are sort of leading that film or lead gummo are not actors or they're not performers and they're, like, unaware. They're, like... Like they're not really, are like they're not, I think they are who they are. I think in some way they're captured quite with like some, some like some sense of like sympathy and authenticity. I don't know. Like it's not serving someone else in the movie. Like everyone in that movie is sort of, you know, from that town or from, they're not there to like, to like change the way that we're viewing other characters. I think that's what's hard for me about the prisoners is that they're like there to sort of uh, support or change the way that we're feeling about other characters in the film, specifically like the, our main characters that we're following. And the way that
3: it's, you think. So?
4: I think it's supporting a sort of yeah I don't know I really actually wish no, I, think... would,
2: I wish you would step forward so it's just not me and Zach arguing over this. I would love to hear what you have to say.
4: I think her. the gummo are, I will say I think I'm totally wrong in the gum argument It's probably just as exploitive. but I just noticed it more on on this film. Hmm. And it's a shame too that like we're getting bogged down and like talking about it only through the lens of like exploitation because there's a lot of other things to say about it that are quite great about the movie.
1: Well, let's let's move on from that. And that I don't want to. Uh, let's put a pin that we will never revisit in that. Yeah. <laughs> Since at least one person in our podcast has fallen asleep into a deep coma, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> thank you for your service, Sari. Good night. Let's get to the end of this thing. And uh, what, what else did you do? You want to say about the movie,
4: Zach? Oh, I love the scene in the barbershop. Hmm. Mm, that part's really great. There's some really great, amazing. Cam- I mean, I think the idea of like making a musical where people are allowed to focus on the music and not like the like theatricality of something, it's really, it was really nice. I like the scene in the barbershop a lot.
1: So, Paul, you've watched this movie a few times. Mm-hmm. I take it's like one of your favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a question because it's it was my first time watching it, mm-hmm. obviously. At the very beginning of the film, there's a title card. Oh, I think we have a little frog friend yeah, visiting yeah. us. So, there's a title card at, at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what it says, but it sort of Mentioned something about like an album that was recorded and.
2: So, Jim White has an album where it's. Uh, the, there's a song on the album where it's the same album, I think that has the song Alabama Chrome on it, but I'm not quite sure. But where he says, and I shout it out for the wrong eyed Jesus. And so, this filmmaker is a big fan of Jim White's. So, the title card essentially was saying that he heard this music and wanted to find essentially whatever inspired this music to exist. Mm. So he wanted, so he asked Jim White to take him on a tour of the south that inspired this music and therefore the title searching for the wrong eyed Jesus.
1: Mm. That's a that's a really intriguing and interesting setup. Mm-hmm. So the three of you who are still awake, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that that I mean I haven't heard that album. I, I don't know if if you have. You have heard the album,
2: Erica. Yeah.
3: Is it most of the songs from this, or is...
2: it's? several of the songs that are played on here by Jim White mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and then you know I'm a I'm a very big Johnny Dowd fan, so you've heard all the songs from Johnny Dowd on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm.
3: I guess personally, I find this movie interesting just because. I feel like it it paints a picture of just uh, a place, which is not even a place, it's many places, right? But um, that's part of the country I grew up in, supposedly, and that just felt very unfamiliar to me. And I think now watching this movie is different from the first time I watched a movie four years ago. Mm -hmm. now I feel like the landscape and even a lot of the buildings the road just all of that looks more familiar those are places I've driven by many times now which when I first watched a movie I hadn't Mm -hmm. so you know I think there is something very maybe authentic is like a bad word but there's something kind of I think real that's that they're trying to say and and what i like about it is i don't think that it really even though this our sort of guide is a self-identified like believer in god and you know he's like i don't want to go into the juke joint you know you guys can go without me and that kind of stuff like
2: he also didn't go into any of the churches
3: okay but he talks about god a lot
2: uh, i mean well, in his
3: own way maybe but
2: definitely in his own way yeah,
3: yeah i just didn't feel like the movie was pushing a viewpoint i mm. felt like the movie was painting a world where there's this kind of black and white set of options of like good and evil which mm. seemed kind of crazy to me when i first saw it and
1: it feels more just like a visual poem, or like a snapshot of time, and
3: mm-hmm.
1: it felt like the filmmaker's intention was to just take as honest a portrait
2: of this of this place, or these places as he in could. time as, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like a temporal panoramic view of this thing, right, like, because that's the point, is that I want this person who made this music to take me on this tour of what inspired this music. And so then we get to see that. I mean, that's not really like a logical argument as much as it is sort of like show me as much as you can in the time we have.
1: So I'm going to try to wrap this thing up. Do any of you have any final thoughts, something you really wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say?
2: Uh, I mean, check out all the music by these, like the, the artists that make the music are all incredible. The Handsome Family, Johnny Dowd, Jim White, 16 horsepower. It's just all you know, pretty tremendous work like that they're doing musically really cool stuff and just in case
1: anybody ever listens to this podcast and I'm not sure if anyone ever will <laughs> but if anyone ever does where can people find you and your wonderful work as
2: artists online
4: Zach My, I have a Vimeo V-A-C-H-D-O-R-N
0: Vimeo thank you
2: uh, ain't true.com i didn't even
1: know that was that's my website, website. wow cool ain't true.com true. great mm-hmm. and erica do you have a, a personal page for your work no okay <laughs> so if, if if you if you want to find more out about erica can is it on AintTrue.com? There are
2: some things that you'll are referenced get there. and you'll yeah. get there through Drew. Yeah, we work on a lot of projects together and you can get to some of her work that way.
1: You might have to do some investigating some deep internet diving, mm-hmm. but you can. it's out there. It's out there.
3: How about some live diving?
1: Some... I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, yeah.
3: Not on the internet. You just gotta find me for real.
1: Well, that, that sounds a lot like stalking. I don't know if you want to encourage
3: that. Uh, For your listeners, Daniel, I'm sure we'll be fine. All (laughs)
1: right. Well, thank you all so much for for being on the show and having that. And Paul, thank you. Paul and Erica, thank you so much for introducing us to that interesting movie that brought about such an intriguing conversation. <laughs> and I, weird movies, you know, they can be seen in a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. And it's, it's super fun for me to discuss them with, with mm-hmm. all of you. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and we'll see you next time on the podcast in which the next episode, our movie will be, if you want to watch it. And I'm going to insert it later because I have no idea what it's going to be yet. Okay, so, great. Thank you. <laughs>
0: there we go. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Yes, thank you so much. Because of everything that's been happening in the world lately because of COVID-19, we decided to record a special episode of Weird Movie Club for next time, where we watch a movie that we think really has a lot to do with current events.
0: We
1: Angel. That's right, the leg. The next film for Weird Movie Club will be The Exterminating Angel, a film shot in Mexico in 1962 and directed by the master of surreal cinema, Louis Bunuel.